would like to invite everyone to open their Bibles to the book of Proverbs today. Uh, for our 14th week, we will, be, we will begin uh, in Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. Uh, I recently saw a movie uh, that, that is about this family uh, whose, whose dad is a very wealthy man. Uh, he owns his own publishing company. He's saved up you know, a ton of money. He has a big house. He's just a really wealthy dude. Uh, and uh, the movie centers on the fact that this man dies, right? And uh, the f- members of the family who, like we learn, always kind of took advantage of him, uh, didn't appreciate him, that kind of thing, uh, they are trying to figure out how he died. Um, and so the, this whole movie is trying to figure out what happened and, you know, if, if he was killed, right? They looks like a suicide, but they're trying to figure out if he was killed. And so each member of the family has some claim to some portion of the inheritance. Uh, that you, you know, you're, the movie kind of reveals each members of the family story and, and how each of them had some stake in the inheritance and how in their lives, you know, they took advantage of this and that, and that kind of thing. And so most of them, right, are eager to learn what's in the father's will, right, and, and how he's going to apportion his inheritance to his family. And, and even though the movie's kind of about this, it, it follows it really from the perspective of uh, the, the father's caretaker, who's a young immigrant nurse uh, from some Hispanic country. The movie never tells us. And, and she's pretty poor because she has to take care of her mom and her family. Uh, and so the family members, right, they assure her, right, that even though that their father's dead, like, they're still going to take care of her. They, they assure her over and over again, you're one of us, you're, you're part of our family, we're going to take care of you, that, that kind of thing. They're not going to leave her and her family out to dry. Well, uh, a big twist in the movie is that this father decides to leave his entire inheritance not to any member of his family, but to his caretaker, he leaves it all to her. And it's largely because his family uh, took advantage of him. They should be uh, on their own two feet, right? And so he, he basically takes it all from them and gives it all to this young, his young caretaker. It's only when they realize that none of the wealth is theirs does their tone change completely. Instead of reassuring this caretaker, they begin threatening her. They become vindictive. And all of them turn on her, and it turns out they're not as caring and supportive as they had been letting on this whole time. What this exposed in this family was that they were only concerned about her as long as they got what they wanted. But when they didn't get what they wanted, she became a threat to them. In other words, what their hearts truly prized was exposed. The Bible has a lot to say about wealth. And none of it is all good, and none of it is all bad. But one common thread that we see in Scripture is that wealth has a unique ability to expose what we prize. And I think this is what Proverbs does. 
Because in one breath, how does Solomon promise riches and wealth if we follow wisdom, but in the next, warn of the dangers of trying to acquire it? I think the answer lies in determining what we prize. What is it that we prize? So look at, look at chapter 3, verse 9 with me. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. This isn't a call simply to give unto God, although that's what it is, right? This is a summons to restructure your heart. It's a call to prize rightly. Right? Don't just, like, yes, give to God, but that's not what it's saying. It's saying prize rightly. I want to unpack what that means today. And, and what you'll hear today isn't anything you haven't heard before. All of you have heard this in some place or other. But this is a chance to examine our hearts to see what it is that we truly prize. Right now, uh, Mallory's mom has Amazon Prime. And she lets us use it. So... Instead of using our own Amazon account, we use hers. And we use it a lot more than she does. And this is really dangerous because it's so easy to go into the app, press a couple of buttons, and get what you need. If anything comes to our mind, like, oh, we need this, well, I'm just going to pull out my phone and order it, and it's going to be here in a couple of days. It's really, really dangerous. And it doesn't really help foster contentment when all we need to get what we want is to just press a couple of buttons on a screen. And I would say that the first aspect we all need to learn is to prize contentment over control. Prize contentment over control. If you want to, you can flip over in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 11. Just a few pages over. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 28. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. The contrast here is between falling and flourishing. Right? You're, there's either a falling that's taking place or a, or a flourishing. Solomon is saying, if you don't want to come to misery, avoid this, and if you want to flourish, then do this. Pretty easy, right? And, and flourishing sounds good, right? None of us want to fall. None of us want to go into misery. We all want to flourish. Don't you? You want to flourish? I, I would like to flourish. Thank you, Solomon. Tell me how to flourish. And, and what's the difference between flourishing and falling? A matter of trust. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. I would say another way to put this is control versus contentment. Control versus contentment. Because here's the thing. Why are we tempted to trust in our riches? To try to be in control, to be content. Right? Right? We want to trust in our riches to find contentment. And we want that contentment through control. In our culture today, one of the cardinal sins is to be a billionaire. 
right? If you're a billionaire, you're de facto the world's greatest sinner. And while I certainly believe that people are entitled to the wealth they work for, I can't help but wonder why anyone would need a billion dollars, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, I guess if you wanted a private island, but only like Bond villains have private islands, don't they? You know, so I guess it makes sense. But, but the problem, see, is, isn't just for billionaires, one reason we don't like billionaires is because if we're honest, we just want a share of the pie. Just let an extra two, 10 or 20 grand a year fall my way and I'll be happy. Come on. Jeff Bezos, he's the guy who owns Amazon. Just 10, 20 grand a year, man. But the solution isn't in possessing more, but in prizing deeply. It's not in possessing more, but in prizing deeply. Look at Proverbs 14, verse 30. Proverbs 14, verse 30. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy rots the bones. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy rots the bones. Always wanting more and better will eat you alive. It will eat you from the inside out. Trying to accumulate more to where you will feel control of, in control of your life is an impossible goal. What this means is that the person making $20,000 a year has the same access to a tranquil heart as the person who makes $200,000 a year. The person who makes $20,000 a year has the same access to a tranquil heart as the person who makes $200,000 a year. So, what we want is to know how do we, what's this tranquil heart, right? Like, how do we rest in contentment? And the, the one way to do this is to know that one day what you trust in will be tested. One day what you trust in will be tested. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. They imagine it an unscalable wall. Proverbs 18.11. This is a warning actually about what you trust to protect you. And wealth is a poor protector. Wealth is a poor protector. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings. Flying like an eagle toward heaven. Chapter 23, 4-5. Wealth is a poor protector. This doesn't mean that the riches themselves will necessarily vanish. It could mean that their ability to sustain you will. The flip side of having control, ironically, is rest. Because when we prize God, wherever you are, be there. Wherever you are, be there. And contentment, when we prize contentment, we rest where we are. Uh, chapter 27, verse 1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, 
for you do not know what a day may bring. This is exactly what James picks up in his letter in James chapter 4, verse 13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do, know, do not know what, a t- what tomorrow will bring. It's not a mistake that the person James is talking about is talking about that James is addressing, that Proverbs is, is addressing is one of wanting to take control. Have control. And so the reason that this is important is because instead of boasting about tomorrow, trying to take control, resting where we are gives up control. Resting where we are gives up control. One pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. Chapter 13, verse 7. The one who pretends to be poor is the one who acts like his wealth isn't even there. He holds on to it loosely. And we can hold on to our wealth loosely. We can give up control when we know how to rest in God. The fear of the Lord leads to life. And whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. Proverbs 19.23 Psalm 91 is one of my favorite psalms and it, it says something similar to this. It says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Business Insider recently, like today or yesterday, I don't even look at the day, but recently predicted a major stock market crash coming soon. It might happen. It might not. But contentment isn't being about being certain about the future, but knowing where true rest comes from. Contentment isn't about being certain about the future, but knowing where true rest comes from. I'm a poor sleeper. I just don't sleep well. It makes me mad. I, I, this watch I have tracks my sleep, and it may not be accurate, but it makes me mad because day in and day out, every time I look at my phone to see how my sleep is, it's poor, 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 poor sleep, poor sleep, poor sleep. And I'm like, what gives? I've tried everything. I've, I've tried um, stopping drinking caffeine later in the day. I've tried drinking, you know, nighttime tea. I've ordered vitamins that are supposed to help you sleep. I, I even, I wear blue light glasses to block TV screens and phone screens, right, to keep me from staying awake. And what I've learned through all my pain and turmoil is that there's no quick fix. It takes discipline. It, it takes regularly exercising. It takes eating well and sticking to a sleep routine. Likewise, there's no quick fix to this second aspect of wisdom and wealth because it takes constant heart checks and self-dying. And it is this. Prize people over protection. <laughs> 
prize people over protection. Proverbs consistently speaks of the importance of giving to the needy. Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. Proverbs 14.31 In this verse, we learn that giving to the needy is important, right? There's one thing you take away from that verse, it's, wow, giving to the needy is, is really important. But it's not just important because the Bible says so, although that's true. Right? That's absolutely true. It's important because there's a direct link between the measure of the worth of God and the measure of our concern for the needy. Notice it says whoever is kind to the needy. Not just whoever gives to the needy. Right? Kindness is a posture of the heart. You can give all your money away to the poor and needy, but not have real concern for them. So what Proverbs is doing is helping us see that there's a direct connection between how deeply we cherish God and how deeply we cherish those made in his image. There's a direct connection. How deeply we cherish God and how deeply we cherish the people made in his image. This is how the, the way of Christ is so against, so antithetical to the natural bent of our hearts. Right? You've heard this before. Modern science describes the evolution of life as the survival of the fittest. And I would say that in a fallen creation, there's some truth to that. Because our hearts are bent toward self-protection. Self-preservation. We need to preserve ourselves and our lives at all costs. And we saw earlier, right? I mentioned earlier, chapter 18, verse 11, that we use wealth like a wall. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. He, he imagines it an unscalable wall. So wealth is, it becomes a wall. And then we read in places like chapter 10, verse 15. Listen to this. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. So a rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. And, and Proverbs, it doesn't tell us whether that's good or bad. It doesn't say that, that what, what the, what's the matter with this. And, and verses like this should signal alarms that cause us to ask, like, why is that? And it's because we use our wealth to insulate ourselves from the ruin of others. That's how we use the natural bent of our hearts is to use our wealth to insulate ourselves from the ruins of others. Or take chapter 17, verse 8. A bribe is a charm to the one who gives it. Wherever he turns, he succeeds. Proverbs doesn't tell us whether that's good or bad. But we should be asking the question, what exactly is helping me to succeed? I've mentioned before in a sermon about the guy who I let sleep in my bed, right? And, and I slept on my couch. I gave him rides, paid for his food. And I was constantly convicted by chapter 23, verses 6 to 8. Do not eat the bread of a man who is stingy. Do not eat or desire his delicacies, for he is like one who is inwardly calculating. Eat and drink, he says to you, 
but his heart is not with you. My heart was at that point and still is desperately in love with self-protection. So what we want is a heart of self-dying and others' concern. The opposite of self-preservation is self-dying. A righteous man knows the rights of the poor. A wicked man does not understand such knowledge. Chapter 29, verse 7. We, we want to be as familiar with the rights of others as we are with our own. And what it means to know the rights of the poor is to give, not because they're worthy of our giving, but because of their rights intrinsic to being made in the image of God. Chapter 11, verses 24 to 26. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. The people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. Ultimately, we want to use our wealth to show the worth of Christ. That is what happens and when we respond to those in giving, even when they disgust us or they mistreat us or insult us. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. The direct connection between how deeply we cherish God and how deeply we cherish those made in His image. So prize people over protection. Lastly, prize wisdom over wealth. Prize wisdom over wealth. I, I don't want you to walk away with the wrong impression because Proverbs, generally speaking, speaks very positively about wealth, right? Very positively. Wealth, then, is not the problems, but that our hearts can so easily prize it. And even though Proverbs speaks positively of wealth, we still have to be reminded over and over again how much better to get wisdom than gold. To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. Chapter 16, verse 16. Have you guys ever heard of the marshmallow study? Right, it's, it's been repeated um, several times, but it started in 1972 when a professor offered children one marshmallow. You can have this marshmallow right now and you can eat it. But if you wait, then you'll get an even better reward later. Solomon wants to put us in a study like the marshmallow study. Right? We want to see what our hearts truly desire. We should ask ourselves, what if someone gave me a million dollars? Or the thing that my heart wants the most? 
Like, what if someone offered this to me? You can have this immediately. You can have this now. You can have a million dollars. You can have the house you want, your, your dream job, travel anywhere you wanted to go, uh, the perfect spouse, a younger body, whatever. If someone offered that to me, would I be just as happy if I did not have wisdom? He asks in in chapter 17, verse 16, of what use is money in the hand of a fool since he has no desire to get wisdom? Wealth is an instrument, not a finish line. Wealth is an instrument, not a finish line. In Proverbs 3, we read, to honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. And so with wealth in our hands, we want to ask God, Father, how can I use my wealth for wisdom? How can I use my wealth for wisdom? And here's here's the comfort. Just in asking that question and wanting the answer is itself wisdom. How can I use my wealth for more wisdom? I'm not up here trying to tell you how to spend your money. Right? I'm not telling you give this much or, or spend on this or don't spend on this. If you go out today and eat a steak dinner but you don't give it to the poor, you're a rotten sinner. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what this is about. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 6, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. This isn't super spiritual. Paul's saying, enjoy what God has given you. Man, go enjoy it. Enjoy your car. Enjoy good food. Enjoy your house. Right? Enjoy your guns or whatever. Like, Enjoy that. God is generous and He loves giving things to His children. But just like Proverbs, Paul has to remind us that riches are an instrument. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up for treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So don't feel guilty about what you have. Enjoy it. But seek to enjoy, most of all, wealth's true goal. Wisdom. Ultimately, ultimately, we value wisdom because it is in wisdom where we find Christ. We want to be driven to Christ that we might see the worth of Christ and all of our wealth and our possessions as being instruments to seeing more of Him. We want more wisdom so that we can have more Christ. That's why we value wisdom the way that we do. This is about being driven to Christ, because none of us values Jesus as we ought. 
We don't prize Him or His wisdom like we should. We don't see His worth as it truly is. Our hearts are always forming grips around our wealth and our possessions and wanting control and protection. And only Christ is the physician who can heal sick hearts. Go to Christ and ask Him to see His worth because He is faithful and He will show you. What about you? As Christians, we want to be driven to Christ every day. But have you been driven to Him in saving repentance and faith? That's what our time of response is for after the sermon. It's not just to sing a song. If you want to see the worth of Christ then this is the time for you to come to Him today. To be driven to Him. To see His worth. And you can take hold of that today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are like little kids who toil with mud and grass and broken toys when your infinite worth is offered to us. And our hearts are always going after control and protection and wealth and more. Lord Jesus, help us to see your worth as it truly is the Son of God, creator and sustainer of the universe, the one who heals our hearts, the one where we find our rest. Show us your worth, Lord Jesus. Bring us to repentance and faith. Lord, and may all of our wealth, all of our possessions, all of our enjoyment of the things in life be instruments and to sing more of your worth and more of your glory. May our hearts be deeply Christ-centered and Christ-exalting. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.